to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. Welcome to episode 92 with Amber McMath. Guys, we are so excited for you to hear this podcast. Um, Amber is a teacher at the 7th Grade Center in Owasso. She teaches English, and she's been there for a while, and she's an amazing teacher. And she has been married to her husband, AJ, for 12 years. She's going to talk to us about um, him having COVID, and it was really bad. So um, it's been a battle, and she's going to walk us through that. Also about her mother, Kelly Flint, who also taught at the 7th grade center, had breast cancer and died a few years ago from that. So there's a lot in this story, but her God's message is weaved all the way through it. That's right. Something I'm taking uh, that just is really special that you'll hear Amber tell this in the story. She has learned to just look for where God is at work. On those hard days, those hard weeks and months, look where God is working and see and recognize this is God. So I just wanted to be reminded for my, in my own life today for that. And, and listeners for you too, you're going to love this story. And we're so glad you're here listening in. Amber, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm excited. We're too. Yeah. Welcome to our podcast. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. So I, I'm an English teacher, so I'm probably going to tackle this chronologically. A good <laughs> Sounds perfect. Yeah. So I'll start with who I came from. Um, and that would be my parents who, uh, my mom was a teacher and my dad, um, was in the oil industry and then went into the ministry. So I grew up with really hardworking parents who were servants at heart in everything that they did. And so my brother and I really got to see um, what it looked like to pour yourself into helping other people all of the time. And, uh, I owe, of course, just so much to them. I'm very grateful for the example that they set. And being a teacher's kid, um, I wanted to do that for some reason. <laughs> it looked like a glamorous profession to me. I loved what my mom did and had a chalkboard, um, you know, bolted to my wall since I was little and would teach my stuffed animals and uh, beg her to go to take me to Mardell where I could buy teacher supplies. <laughs> as my toy. So that has always been a passion of mine. And, um, so yeah, I grew up um, just wanting, knowing what I wanted to do, which I consider myself very lucky. That yeah. I always knew the teaching would be in my future. Um, and so I'm in my 13th year now um, teaching at the Owasso 7th grade center, teaching uh, English and I've taught a few other things. Along Are you the still way. teaching drama? No, taught that for a while and that I loved that, uh, but now I get to just teach English, which is a lot of fun too. 
Uh, I met my husband, AJ. We've been married um, for about 12 years. And I met him uh, after college. I was on Match.com. Okay, yeah, we usually right. ask how you met your husband. So, yeah, so go ahead. Match.com. But we actually met in high school. We went to a really large high school. We had over a thousand in our class, and we had a class together our junior year and became friends, but nothing, you know, more than that in high school, just um, didn't even really keep in touch. But fast forward to, you know, after college, we both happened to be on Match.com, and I recognized him. And made the first move, sent him a message, <laughs> and said, you know, do you remember me from high school? And he did, and we started talking, and um, he was in uh, Fort Worth at the time, going to seminary, and decided to move back here as we started dating, and then we got married in 2010. Um, we have um, a wonderful little boy who's six years old in kindergarten, Rhett, and he's um, just a big thinker and feeler and um, big talker. <laughs> and he's, he's definitely our world. We love him so much. Um, so that is where I am now. I kind of skipped over after college. A big part of my journey was going to West Africa and teaching there first. So oh, kind of, yeah. Wow. Talk about that. I, yeah, I got my feet wet um, overseas. Uh, just something that God put on my heart my senior year of college, um, which I think... You know, it definitely surprised my parents. I was the girl who went home every weekend. I got my laundry done, and Mom took me to Sam's to restock on all my snacks. <laughs> and um, loved, just loved being home and was not one to want to go off on big exotic adventures. But God really put it on my heart. And I was able to travel between my junior and senior year overseas to Hong Kong and teach for a month there. And then really knew this is what I needed to do when I graduated. And an opportunity came up with a mission organization in Mali, West Africa, to teach their missionary kids and other English-speaking students who were there with their families. So I got to spend two amazing years. Oh, wow. Yeah, doing basically the exact opposite of what my life had been (laughs) before in America. And um, that was truly a life-changing experience for sure. Yeah, I bet. So two years. Was that through the journeyman program? No, I, I didn't. You know, it's funny. I didn't do journeyman because it was a two-year commitment. And I <laughs> thought, wow, I can probably only do a year. I think I'm only cut out for a year at a time. And then I ended up staying, you know, for two years. The two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, it, that goes, my other thing I wrote down to mention, since you guys talk about Enneagrams on this podcast. Uh, we love Enneagram. <laughs> I'm an Enneagram 3 achiever Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought well if I fail I can't sign up for two years because what if I fail (laughs) (laughs) what a disgrace (laughs) I won't be able to finish my two years and so yeah God definitely broke me in a lot of ways and taught me a lot while I was there and you know um, was able to come back and um, you know start teaching here and bring a lot of what I learned in West Africa just in trying new things and overcoming fears and um, getting to know people when you have nothing in common with them, especially language, and taking that into the classroom. So did you just live with a family there while you were there? I lived on my own, uh, but there is just, you know, wherever God plants you, there is going to be a community ready to receive you. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a lot of the prayers of my family here was that God would give me a family there. And he sure did. There's um, a singles community that would meet once a week. And, you know, we'd go to dinner, we'd have Bible study, and they were from all over the world. But they just bring you into their fold, and you are one of them, and that is your family. And on top of that, I was blessed with, 
you know, as kind of a secondary family with all of my students' families. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very different than here. Um, you kind of just become part of your students' families. They have you over for dinner, and they kind of treat you, you know, I'd say very different than teachers maybe are treated here as your role as the classroom. There is, you know, your role is just part of us. You're, you know, thank you for coming here, for raising the support to be here and teach our kids. What can we do for you? You know, yeah. can you come over for dinner? Do you need, you know, advice and help with getting your passport? Things like that. Um, that was, you know, just a, I would say one of the biggest blessings was you know, my students weren't just students that I saw, Right. you know, an hour a day. You know, we just all lived life together uh, because you have to. You can't you can't try to do it on your own there. You just need the help. Yeah. So, and then you provide that too whenever someone comes in maybe short term for a few months and is just kind of shocked as soon as they arrive. What do I do? You know, you take them under the, under your wing and show them, oh, here's, here's where you buy your potatoes and here's where you buy your apples and here's how you get a taxi. Um, and so... That was definitely something that um, I've uh, I've learned a lot from and still, man, I think about it all the time. Wow, that's exciting. Something you mentioned that I would love for you to, I know we're, we have a lot more exciting things ahead of us in your story, but will you just go back and talk a little bit, tiny bit more about that phrase that you just said, which I believe is really true. You said, wherever God calls us, he's going to prepare a community ahead of time for us to bond with, or I don't know how you said it, but I really agree with that. But I think sometimes we have our eyes closed to the community around us. So how did you see that happen for you? And like, how did you experience, okay, I just need to open my eyes to this community and accept that I am part of this community? I would say that, you know, uh, Satan is the one who puts those blinders on us. Mm -hmm. Like that is his tactic a lot of times with me is I get so singular focused on success and getting a task done that I forget to look around at the people there to help me. And so as soon as I arrived in Mali, you know, I needed someone to pick me up from the airport. I needed someone to show me all these things. And so there was no, let me try to do this on my own. That that was impossible. Um, And so I feel like God puts us in those situations where we have to rely on other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is such a hard lesson to learn when our independent nature wants us to do it on our own, just to prove, just to prove yeah. we can. Yeah. Who are who are we trying to prove this to? I mean, this is not right. this is not a biblical principle at all. And so that community, I would say, it was one of the first that I feel like um, God was able to bend me so much in my independent nature um, and show me that you can't. While I was in West Africa. It was my second year, um, second school year that October, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh. And, you know, I have to find out in an email because that's not, you know, we're not calling and this is before any kind of smartphones or anything. So, you know, in an email, I find out, okay, you know, she'd had a biopsy and it came back cancerous. And so here I am by myself in my little apartment, and what's the first thing I do? I, I have to go and tell my my small group, my you know group of singles, and they're immediately praying for me. The next morning, we always had prayer before school started. I tell the other teachers, they're immediately praying and mm. you know, asking, what can we do? How can we help? Um, I came home that Christmas because mom was going through a radiation and things, so I was able to come home, take her to her appointments, and spend some time with her before going back. And then my brother who's four years younger than me, actually came back with me 
to Molly. Wow. And he taught there for the second semester. He was transitioning between colleges and kind of had one of those semesters, like, why not? Let's go. And that made all the difference in the world, knowing that, okay, mom's at home going through all these treatments and stuff, but we're together. And, you know, again, not something I planned, not something I thought, oh, my brother will come teach with me <laughs> for a semester, uh, but something that God knew we both were going to do. Yeah. We were going to need to be together while mom was going through that. And I think it put her heart at ease, too. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That, that we had each other there. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about your mom a little bit, because yeah. I knew your mom, and she was amazing. Well, first of all, when you came back to the States, was the 7th grade center at Owasso your first? Is that the only place you've taught? I followed uh, Mr. Coke around like a little puppy mm. for a year <laughs> subbing and saying, if you have an opening, please consider me. <laughs> I worked so hard as a substitute thinking, okay, this is how I'm going to get my in. So that year I, I came back, I was working on my master's, but I also was subbing as much as I could. And my mom taught there. And yeah. I just thought, wow, that would be so awesome if I could teach with my mom and this wonderful school that everyone says is the best. And I sure remember enough, that because I was a counselor when, when mm, you were subbing. I remember that. Yeah. So sure enough, I did. Um, I did. They had two positions open. So I was very fortunate to interview and get one of them. And uh, so that's, yeah, the time that um, my mom was going through a lot of treatments and cancer was coming and going. Um, but yeah, she... She was a big presence, I would say. Mm-hmm. Huge presence at the 7th grade center, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amber's mom also taught at 7th grade, by the way, if we hadn't said that. Yeah, Yeah, she taught science, had always taught science. When my family moved to Owasso, my dad um, had a, a change of church in his ministry to Owasso. My mom said, well, you know, I should teach here too. That would make sense. And so she, when she got at the 7th grade center, I knew, okay, that's, you know, if I ever teach, that's where I want to go. Um, and they were, she was diagnosed her first year teaching there and Mm -hmm. they were the family that they are now. They just take care of you Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about anything. Right. They're going to, they're going to be there for you. And again, that's where God, you know, where God put her. And she had no idea that she was going to need that kind of support um, over those seven years. But that's exactly who, who God had it in mind for her. So yes, um, I, in thinking about motherhood and, and something I'm very underqualified to talk about, I feel like I can <laughs> talk about my mom and the example that she set. Because um, like you said, she, she was a big presence. She kind of did it all. She, all growing up, you know, Girl Scout leader, booster club. She was at everything. Um, she was someone who, when, you know, when she walked into the room, you know, people wanted to talk to her and wanted to be around her. And that, I mean, that is who she was for everybody else. At home, she just, she was pure love. She loved my brother and I and my dad just in a way that I feel like that is the closest I will see to how Jesus loves us. Mm -hmm. It was just very unconditional and very Mm -hmm. pure. And so that's what I grew up with was, I mean, honestly, the best mom. She passed away when I was 29 before I had my son. And so Mm. I felt like the first few years of being a mom, for sure, I felt like, well, I have to be the Kelly Flint mom. Like, she was amazing. How am I going to replicate this without her here, like, to Mm -hmm. tell me every single thing that I need to be doing? You know, obviously, there's no book. So (laughs) I'm going to need my mom to tell me. And, And... I really had to dig deep 
and realize that there was not a formula to be Kelly Flint. <laughs> there That's was, right. There were, and I put a lot of pressure on myself to get things done perfectly because I felt like she was just this perfect mom who somehow managed to be all the things to all the people outside of our family, but yet be just everything to us. And so that was something that even I have all of her um, journals, I have all of her like Bethmore Bible studies, I have her Bible, I have all these things. So that's kind of what I went to <clears throat> besides my own memories of her being a mom was, okay, what was she, what was she like just privately in, mm-hmm. when she would study the word and all that. Mm-hmm. And what a treasure that you have, her oh work, her written journals mm-hmm. and writing down what God told her. I mean, what a treasure. Yes. Oh. Save it all, ladies. Just save it all. Because someday all. <laughs> someone's going to want to go through it. And so that has kind of been my guide to realize she was not following any kind of, you know, checklist for how to be this amazing mom. She was very free in who God called her to be. But she had her feet firmly in who her identity was in Christ. Mm-hmm. So we were seeing this one version of Kelly Flint, that that is exactly who she was all the time. And it was Kelly Flint, you know, woman of God, Kelly Flint, just prayer warrior, Kelly Flint, constant encourager. Mm -hmm. And and she knew who she was in Christ. And then she just took that to every area of her life, you know, whether it was teaching or being a mom or being a wife, being a a pastor's wife, you know, all these uh, arenas that she, that God planted her in. She, she was free, um, but she knew who she was. And I, starting out as a mom, was not. And still am definitely my rubric. I'm in the needs improvement column of that. But I think I about... I your comparison. You're showing the showing. Yes. The rubric. <laughs> You're in the needs improvement column. Needs improvement column. I'm going to go with the maybe a D minus there. Uh, like, <laughs> Love because it. Because I think about... I can relate, by the way. <laughs> oh, Yes. Many times something would happen uh, with Rhett, and I felt like, well, I've got to, I've got to handle this perfectly. Um, I can remember being at a birthday party, and he was maybe one or so, and smashed into something. His mouth starts bleeding. You know, I don't know what has happened. So I rush him into the bathroom, and I just see, you know, blood coming out of his mouth area, and I'm like, oh, freaking out, freaking out. And my husband comes in, AJ says, you know, hey... And I said, I just, I don't know what's going on. What is this bad? Is this good? Is it? And he said, well, just, just go out there and ask someone. Just ask, ask someone for, to look at it for help. You know, that's his first response. And to me, that it was just absurd. <laughs> Why would I go ask someone for help? This is my son. I should be able to fix whatever is wrong with him. This is what my mother would have done. You know, she, she was just so amazing. And I just kind of had this subconscious and undue pressure on myself. Um, I, this is a, a good ex- another good example. <laughs> when he was six weeks old, I had to return to school and I, he was going to an amazing preschool at our church with people who would love him and care for him. I um, went the day before to bring all of his little baby supplies that he was going to need and also a three ring binder that I created. <laughs> oh my goodness. It had colored dividers. It had <laughs> everything that these well-equipped and long-time, well-experienced caregivers were going to need to know about my six-week-old <laughs> child. Oh my and I goodness. still teased about that because I thought, 
well, I am the expert here on him, and you are going to need all this information on him that I prepared for you in this binder. But I know they got a really good laugh out as soon as they But now I look back on that and think, you know, I just, I wanted that control. I wanted that perfection. I wanted that image that, like, look at Amber, look at what a great mom she is. And, you know, when I think about my own mom, I think that was never her goal was for people to look at her and be like, oh, Kelly Flint, what an awesome mom. But she was, and she just had a way of knowing Jesus and having kind of his eyes on the people around her, and that is what, that's what made her good. You know, that is what made her someone who we remember as being awesome teacher, awesome mom, awesome wife. Hmm. But that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> and, like, looking in her journals, did you kind of see, like, maybe she didn't... Maybe she didn't always have the answer. Maybe she did have to go ask somebody sometimes. Yes. She very much was someone who was a constant learner. Mm -hmm. She never thought that she had it all together, ever. She wanted to get closer to God. She wanted to serve better. She wanted to be a better wife. And so you even look at her, her prayer journals, and you can see the things she was praying for for herself, you know, that she wanted to... Um, she wanted to see God move in these areas of her life. Uh, and so that has helped too, to know, man, and I even, I, we knew that growing up. Um, I feel like my brother and I were never disillusioned about the Christian walk. It was never something that we saw our parents act like, this is easy and <laughs> this is, this is how you're going to do right. it. And it's, you know, you're just going to read your Bible every day and you're going to just not sin and <laughs> you will have a good, happy life. I mean, I feel like the curtain was always pulled back mm -hmm. and we always had a very real picture mm -hmm. of, okay, well, if you're going to choose to follow Jesus for your life, these are the obstacles you're going to face and mm -hmm. here's how you're going to just try to overcome them. Uh, especially in marriage, you know, my parents had a wonderful, strong marriage um, and really set the example for us about how to love unconditionally in all circumstances and serve each other, you know, put each other first. And so I, I, but yet overcome obstacles, you know, when you don't see eye to eye and when, <laughs> sure. when, when stuff happens and you have to work through it, I feel like we, they, they gave us a front row seat to that and made mm -hmm. sure that we understood, you know, it's, when it gets hard, because it is not when, not right. if, but when it gets hard, yeah. here's how you're going to work through it. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful that uh, even in marriage, we've been able to see this is how you are going to work together through things because uh, we saw them do that constantly. It sounds like your mom and dad gave you the gift of being the same on Sunday that they were Monday through Saturday. It sounds like that was what you were seeing. It wasn't yes. just put it all on a happy face on Sunday morning, but that was who they really were living life and being authentic Christ followers with their ups and their downs, which mm -hmm. is a real gift that you saw and experienced firsthand. Absolutely. It's a blessing. Yeah, my mom said when my, my dad, you know, wasn't formally trained in ministry. He They both were in the oil industry before she became a teacher and he went into ministry. And when he, he felt that calling, he said, you know, I've been helping out in youth ministry for a long time, and now our church needs a youth minister, and I, you know, th this is just what I'm supposed to do. Her response was, okay, but I really just, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. <laughs> because she, she knew, I, there is just one version of me, and this is just who I'm going to be. So, right. Yeah. So yeah, you can relate. You, just, you don't want to feel like you have to change yeah. to fit a certain role. And um, so 
I feel like that is something she's still constantly teaching me that mm-hmm. I can just bring exactly who I am and who God mm-hmm. made me to be to every part of my life. And he is going to mm-hmm. use that and bless that and multiply that in ways that there's, there's no way I could, if I had tried to kind of camouflage myself, uh, you know, into what the room wants me to be, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay, so tell us a little bit about, I know you guys have had a pretty traumatic couple of years, you and AJ. So um, wherever you want to start with that, tell us a a little bit about what's going on with you and AJ. Yeah, uh, a a little over a year ago, um, when it was January of 2021, and um, obviously COVID was still quite rampant before the vaccine, um, he tested positive for it, and a week later was in the hospital after I dropped him off at the ER because of restrictions at the time. I couldn't go in. I just had it to drop him off. must have been a terribly off. hard moment. Yes. Because yes. you could not go in. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, so Rhett and I just drove him to the hospital because the day before, Rhett and I had also tested positive for COVID. So, you know, nobody else <laughs> could safely take him. So we did and uh, just... Left him there knowing, okay, he's in good hands and God has this under control and he'll probably just, he'll probably just need some oxygen for a little bit and then he'll come home, you know, and he'll, he'll, he'll be, he'll be home tomorrow. Even in the ER, they said, yeah, well, we're going to hook you up to some oxygen and you're going to be fine and we'll go home. That was on a Thursday morning and, um, let's see, Saturday morning, about 3 a.m. I got the call that he was being taken to the ICU, a very sweet nurse named Wendy, who just had a, a very calming presence over the phone told me that she was taking him to ICU and they were going to take good care of him. That was the best place for him. And then 24 hours later, same 3 a.m. phone call that woke me up to tell me that he was on a ventilator because uh, his lungs just could not function on their own. And he was going to need, going to need uh, to be intubated. He had been intubated and was on the ventilator. Can I stop you for a second? What about that first 3 a.m. call? How did you receive that Okay, my husband's in ICU, and this is the middle of the night. Yeah, a few hours before, I had a friend whose sister was an ICU nurse, and she said, she had texted me and said, my sister tells me they have a bed ready for him because they think he might need it. Mm. And so God had already said, okay, this is probably going to happen, and you've been, you know, given a little heads up, which is such a blessing, Mm -hmm. that it was not just out of nowhere, you know. Uh, I knew, okay, and I was just so thankful because at that time, you know, the ICUs are overrun and you are just praying that, God, if he needs the ICU, please let there be a bed. Right. So when she said, hey, they've got one ready, I kind of felt relieved. Okay, he's not on a floor with just, you know, a handful of nurses looking out over a ton of patients, but he might get, you know, exactly what he needs if he can get into the ICU, which he didn't. So I feel like God had, had in every step of this, mm-hmm. prepared me little by little. Uh, I still kind of do not want that 3 a.m. phone call about anything. Because two nights in a row, and then after that, I'm like, okay, no more guys. No yeah, more yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you receive that second one? The 3 a.m. call that, what, what, Sunday night, I suppose? I got up and did the dishes. I, I just, yeah, yeah, there was no, there was no sleeping. So, yeah, I just got up and distracted myself as much as I could, um, prayed, and just knew that this was the start of something that I had zero control over, mm-hmm. uh, which is very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at that time, Red's what, five, four, mm-hmm. five? Yeah. yeah, he's five, and 
we are still quarantined for the two weeks. Mm. So there's no like, hey, can you come over and just, you know, let me cry on you? Right. Can you, uh, oh, you know, yeah. can, I, can I come over? Can I bring Red over? There's none of that. Because you all had it too. We just had to stay at home for those two weeks. Yeah. So that morning, I did something that is very, uh, that Sunday morning, he had been on the ventilator for a few hours. I did something very uncharacteristic of me. And I reached out to someone and asked for help <laughs> and asked uh, for just someone to, to be there. So my dad, um, a couple years after my mom passed away, I got remarried to an amazing woman, Charlene, who is exactly what he needed. Um, we are forever grateful <laughs> for her. Uh, my dad was, you know, eating SpaghettiOs out of can and very lost. And <laughs> oh, Charlene. She'll say that uh, he rescued her too, and they are a perfect, perfect match. Uh, I called her and said, hey, could you just come over to the back door? <laughs> <laughs> and just so I can, like, kind of have contact with somebody. So she did, and she brought reinforcements, and they prayed and sang and read scripture. Oh. And I just, yeah, I stood on the other side of the back door and felt like, okay, this is going to be all right. We are going to do this. Like, this is, you know, day one of of him being on the ventilator, and this is how God is providing? All right. Like, they, buckle they in. at your back door. Yes. That's so precious. Yes. Uh, so you just, you know, I, I will always, always remember that morning and just how you show up for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. It just wells me up thinking. I know. That We're all crying. You know, you couldn't open the door. You have COVID. But they still were right there praying and um, sharing the burden with you, mm-hmm. who they love so much, and with sharing the burden of your husband who was in on the ventilator and far away. Oh, man. Just, and as a parent, that probably was heartbreaking, but also, like, there's something we can do. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure they were thinking, we can't go over there. She can't right. come over mm-hmm. here. What are we going to do? So I'm sure that phone call for them, too, was like, here's something we can actually yeah. do. Yes, my dad came, that was a Sunday, my dad came after church, and we sat on the back porch, actually, um, you know, <laughs> on opposite ends of the back porch, and he he didn't, you know what all dads should do, where you just listen, and you just say the words that God has put on your heart to say. Um, he asked me, well, sis, you know, how you doing? How you feel? <laughs> and very honestly, I told him, I feel lost. I said, I feel like everything that I know and that I've been connected to, I'm just now floating away from, and I'm, I'm not really sure what I can hold on to. Because hmm. it all felt very new and raw and out of my control, which is not something I'm used to feeling, you know? And it seemed like my life up until then, even with my mom passing, I had, had just had a lot of strength and a lot of... Um, just we're just gonna get through it we're just gonna buckle down and get through right (laughs) and this was something I thought I have no idea I'm going to get through this right Uh, and so his advice so very wise um was okay well here's what you need to do you need to start looking for where God is at work Mm -hmm. because he has not stopped working and so your job is to look where is he at work and I said, oh, I said, okay. I said, you know, I need to, I need to do this really well. This is my achiever. <laughs> I, said, I, said, I said, I need to do this in a way that, like, when people 
look at me going through this, they are going to say, oh, wow, God is really, you know, God is really working in Amber. God is, you know, that that it points back to God. Uh, because that, that is what mom did. Her seven years of battling cancer, she pointed people to Jesus. That is what she did. And he very kindly redirected me. <laughs> Amber, it does not matter what other people see when they look at you going through this. You, He said, your first job is to take care of Rhett. Just be a mom right now. You you have Rhett. You need to take care of him. And then just look where God is. And, mm-hmm. and he warned me against being stuck in the, why is this happening to me, um, rut. He said, you know, Job started to do the same thing until he realized God is too deep to have to explain himself to you. Mm. So you can ask, but you cannot get stuck in the why me, Mm -hmm. because God has chosen you for this, and he does not have to tell you the reason he is too deep. He is in charge of the universe, and he did not put you in charge of the universe to decide these things. You don't get your own universe like he does. So you just sit back, and you look and see where he is at work. And that was a huge shift for me in that moment to go, okay, I can do that. I, you know, I've spent my life watching you and mom look for where God is at work and point mm-hmm. it out to us and, mm-hmm. and remind us, look at what God did here. Look at what God did here. I mean, they're constantly... You know, you talk about building those stones and looking back and seeing those pillars of where you saw God. That is how they raised us, was to look back anytime something would happen. And we would go, oh, what are we going to do about this? They would say, God will provide. Look what he did here. Remember when he did that? God will make a way. Remember when he did that? So, okay, I can do that. I've watched you guys do this my whole life. This is what I will do. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of reframed what my purpose was. It was to take care of rent, and it was to look for where God was was at work. So AJ was on the ventilator for 16 days. Oh my goodness. And then on February 9th, we got the amazing, wonderful call (laughs) that he was breathing well enough on his own. And in those 16 days, I could just fill a book with all the miracles God did. I mean, it was, yes, yes, it was hard only knowing what was happening from one phone call a day from a nurse or a doctor to tell me a lot of medical jargon that I was, you know, quickly having to learn and keep up with. And then relay to, you know, his family and people who were praying. And, you know, it was hard even returning to work. I returned to work when he was still on the ventilator and just teaching my kids. And all this time, too, like, oh, and you are still working. When you're, when you're quarantined, that doesn't mean you stop teaching. You still have to yeah. do lesson plans and enter grades That's and everything right. like that. So that was a nice distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, going back into the classroom was honestly wonderful because then I got to be surrounded by my people, by my, you know, my colleagues and my dear friends who had been praying me through this anyway. Um, even one day, AJ had an amazing nurse who would FaceTime with us when AJ was on a breathing trial, trying to breathe without the ventilator on his own. They would do a few hours a day of just slowly, you know, getting him weaned off of that. And so he FaceTimed while I was at school uh, because AJ was getting really agitated and it was was having a hard time breathing on his own. But they really wanted to see if he could do it. And they, his nurse said, let's FaceTime with Amber. And if when he sees that familiar face, maybe it'll calm him down and she can talk him down. And so here I was at school, you know, and I'm in the hallway on a passing period and I see this is the nurse calling, FaceTiming, wow. you know, so ducking to uh, the stairwell to talk to him. And I just had this like wonderful shield of teachers around me <laughs> ready to just step in and take my class or encourage me. Are you okay? Is everything all right? What can we do? And um, so I think, man, the best place for me to be was there. And it reminds me of my mom. 
when she got the call that she had, you know, her results of the biopsy showed cancer, she was at school. I mean, they called her at school and she stepped into the hallway. She gets the call. She steps back in and she had another teacher in the room with her, like an assistant. And, you know, my mom told her, hey, I, I just got this, you know, this new who's in the teacher said, okay, what can we do? What do we need to do? You know, mm-hmm. I think this is just, you know, God knows exactly where you're going to be. Right. When you get when yeah when you get he news, you get that news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's so he's gonna have people there. You don't have to worry. You know he's gonna have that team like in place. And right. They each have their own special <laughs> skill set uh, to kind of get you through. So um, he was AJ. I would say like kind of chapter two <laughs> off the ventilator, but he's still uh, going to just face all the things that you do in recovery after your body has been completely sedated, basically paralyzed, you know, mm-hmm. for over these two weeks. Uh, but thankfully he was out of isolation a few days later and I got to go and see him oh. and just kind of rush into that room. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been felt like for, oh, so long. Longer yes. than two weeks, three, three weeks? That it you had been three seen? full weeks that three? I had seen Wow. Yeah, and and Rhett too. Of course, Rhett could not come up at all, so Rhett was away from him for, uh, you know, about seven weeks. Oh, goodness. So, yeah, I got to go up there, and he ended up being in the hospital for for three more weeks, uh, but 24-7 I could be by his side, and I I did. I stayed there, and we just walked through this recovery in all of its ups and downs. I would say that is the, the biggest roller coaster time was those three weeks because... Life in the hospital is very much two steps forward, one step back. And so you'd wake up one day and be like, hey, it's going to be a good day. You feel pretty good. No pain or this or that. You know, you're kind of coming off your oxygen a little bit. We're getting closer to not needing it. And then something would happen. You know, uh, they'd think, oh, I think maybe your lung collapsed. Let's go down for a CT. Or, um, oh, you're aspirating. You can't, you're no, no more liquids for you. We're going to put a feeding tube down your nose for a week. And so... You would feel like, oh, we're moving forward a little bit. Oh, but then we'd have yeah. really bad nights mm-hmm. and so much pain that we just, and, you know, you're on your max pain meds and you're still feeling all this pain. And then the next day is just kind of lost because you feel so bad. And so it was the the most ups and downs that I've ever encountered these three mm. weeks. And in that time, I definitely learned, you know, there are, there are seasons. Um, and that three weeks was a season of just minute by minute hills and valleys, hills and valleys. And on the medical side of things, yes, but also on the spiritual side of things, you know, I would be like, yay, praise you, Jesus, you did this. And I'd be like, oh, why, God, why would you, you know, right. bring us back here to this scary moment or, or to, you know, waiting on this, you know, diagnosis. They thought at one point, oh, I think maybe he had a stroke. Let's, you know, we'll do an MRI and see if he had a stroke. <sighs> and you go, okay, oh. all right. now. And so it was just constant roller coaster feeling, but... I knew this is not forever. This is a season. You know, God will bring us through this mm-hmm. season. And I think that was the biggest encouragement was knowing, okay, God, um, this is this is temporary. And you're going to see us through this. And then we're going to come out on the other side of it. And we'll be able to look back and have this testimony. <laughs> <laughs> these three weeks were craziness. But you were there. And I, again, could fill a book of all the miracles we saw him do mm-hmm. in that time. You know, he... On the ventilator, they gave him about a 20% chance of making it, and we held on to that during those three weeks. Okay, you know, you you are a miracle that you are still here, mm-hmm. so whatever happens from here on out, 
you know, God has has a plan and mm-hmm. he has a story and he has a reason. And so we're going to do it. And so, yeah, after those three weeks, he went to an inpatient rehab where he still had to work with walking and, you know, just being able to feed yourself and stuff that you want to be able to do before you go home. Uh, and then he came home in March and to um, a very happy <laughs> five-year-old. <laughs> what was that reunion his dad? like? The day that Rick got to give his dad a big hug. Uh, what was that like? We had we had sneaked a hug before that <laughs> with a physical therapist who one day walked in and could just tell by his face, oh, he's just he needs not to see him. having it today. Yeah. And she said, hmm, it's really nice outside. I wonder if we could go outside for PT today. I could just roll you outside and we could have it out there. Because uh, I had mentioned to her, hey, what time is PT going to be today? Because, you know, I'm, I'm going to go downstairs and see Rhett for a little while. Because uh, our wonderful family who took care of him for this entire time would bring him up occasionally so that we could just hang out, you know, uh, see each other. And I could get a little bit of normal outside of the hospital time. And she said, hmm, okay, let's, let's see what time is Rhett coming up. And uh, was able to arrange it to be the exact same time. Of course, Rhett didn't know it was a great surprise. So they got to steal oh. away for a little hug and a little time together. Oh. And then during inpatient rehab, again, we weren't allowed in. But... Uh, AJ could come to the windows and that's, we would go up every single day at dinner time uh, for those 10 days that he was in the rehab and we would uh, on speakerphone talk to him and, you know, he would be eating his dinner and right, we get to tell him about his day. So uh, that was something, but man, there's nothing like just being able to crawl in bed all together, in the yeah. Rehab. <laughs> yeah. which I think is, yeah, the first thing we did as soon as we got home, we just enjoyed some time just, um, yeah, snuggling together. Oh, <laughs> oh. wow. So that, um, you know, was quite an ordeal to get through and then kind of breathe and go, okay, we, we made it. He survived COVID. He's back to, you know, walking and, uh, you know, even going to work and things like that. And then we had been home less than a month before uh, his doctor at a regular appointment said, you know, man, your breathing sounds a little strange. I'm going to call your pulmonologist. I'm going to get you in this week. And that started in chapter three, (laughs) trying to breathe. His airway developed scar tissue from being intubated for so long, which is very common as acquired uh, stenosis, subglottic stenosis. So it's, you know, can be no big deal or it can be a really big deal. And in Mm -hmm. AJ's case, it turned out to be a really big deal. Um, the traditional surgeries that you use for that did not work. And we had about one a month from April through November going in and them trying to uh, basically just stretch open his trachea so he can breathe because scar tissue was forming and keeping him from breathing. So multiple surgeries. So we went in April, May, June, July, August. And, you know, in the meantime, he's still doing rehab and trying to, you know, just kind of live this normal life that we thought we would have as soon as we came home. And that was, that was not the case. Uh, God had something else in mind. And so it turned into definitely more of a, of a marathon. (laughs) We we thought we were there just for a little 5k and here we are. Um, in December, he had a major surgery, which, um, is supposed to correct it. So this is I'm a very skilled doctor who has done many of these surgeries before. They take out uh, like a centimeter of your trachea, the the part that's growing the scar tissue. They just take it out and they sew it back. So he did that in December. Had an extremely rough recovery in January. And by the end of January, he he still just was not able to breathe well. And so um, we've, you know, gone through like 
more ER visits and even, you know, calling the ambulance to bring him in because he cannot breathe and he's, you know, there's a lot of airway issues going on. Even at one point had to be put back on the ventilator for 24 hours uh, while they were kind of preparing things for a surgery that they hoped would fix it. So we went through uh, January, February, March, six more surgeries in that time. Several, you know, ER visits, hospital stays, and just a, a... Scary, scary time. You know, when you can't breathe, mm. <laughs> it's scary. And the house, you know, is very tense because you never knew, you know, is this the surgery that they just did this week? How long is it going to last? You know, how long is it going to be able, you know, is this going to be the one? It's going to be the last one. And it just wasn't. And we just had to go back for more and more. And our doctor put us in touch with a colleague that she had up in Detroit. And so um, it was just two weeks ago that we went to Detroit and this doctor uh, was able to put a stent in his trachea. And wow. the stent is, uh, will be in there for a few months. And then hopefully upon removal, the scar tissue will not come back. Oh, wow. This is, again, like another, okay, God, is this going to be it? Is this right, you're gonna right, to right. Fix it? We don't know. Uh, but this is where we are right now. And this is what we're trying. And we are just like with everything else. We are believing that God's going to heal him, mm-hmm. and so far, so good. This week that he's been back every day has gotten a little bit better, and he's his trachea went from being 10 millimeters at best after a surgery, like that day after surgery, you know, it'd be a good 10 millimeters, and he could breathe pretty well, um, and then, of course, it would get down to just a few millimeters um, when he would need, you know, another surgery, and right now it's at 16 millimeters, which is a nice, wow. <laughs> almost normal opening for him so wow. he's breathing like he never has before and that is truly just the biggest relief mm-hmm. for all of us is to hear him or I should say not hear him <laughs> breathing <laughs> because it's just normal normal breaths and not kind of the um Darth Vader sound that he's had for the past year oh so and, what was that like to go to sleep and hear that were, were you like on pins and needles every night yeah you pretty just much get, you just get used to listening for you know when it's getting bad and you just get that feeling of, uh-oh, this, this didn't fix it. Here mm-hmm. we are again, mm-hmm. God. Um, you know, and I, I liken it so much to my mom's battle with cancer. And anyone who has, you know, chronic illness or things like that, you know when it comes up time for a scan, when it comes up time to, to check and see. And you just get that nervous feeling like, what's it going to say this time? Is it back? Is it not? Has it grown? Has it, you know, decreased? You don't know. And just seeing her go through that and knowing that she, she really was in it for the long haul and she was not going to whine and complain and be like, oh, Debbie Downer and poor me about any of it, knowing that this was going to be a, a, a marathon. This was going to be a battle. I had to channel a lot of that mm-hmm. in these past few months, knowing, okay, God, we're, we're just going to be in this. Um, and if it is hard, okay, so what? You know, this is, this is what you have chosen for us. Like, you have made us for this. And so... Yeah, um, if I have to, you know, call 911 so that they can get here and get him to the hospital so he can breathe, that is what I will do. Like, that is, you are going to give me the strength to do these things. How do you keep from being, from being that hypervigilant state at all times? Or can you? It helps to have a wonderful six-year-old who is just going to live his life no matter what. <laughs> yes, he worries about dad. But, you know, he still, you know, wants to go to the skating rink and wants to go <laughs> to, to go pick out some new toys at the store. And so that is kind of our normalcy is, okay, yes, 
AJ has, you know, been critically ill and it has been in some very dangerous situations. And to not obsess over that and worry if that's, is tonight going to be the night that, we, you know, we have to go to the hospital. You focus on this, you know, bright, cheery-eyed six-year-old who wants you to, you know, watch him do some ninja moves. And I think God knew exactly who he was giving us when he gave us Rhett. You know, someone who was going to be compassionate and very observant about how we're feeling and would know when we needed, you know, a little a little relief. Because um, he definitely provides that. Uh, and I think, too, man, you're going through it with your best friend. Like, you know, that is who AJ is. Mm-hmm. And we are so rooted in our faith mm-hmm. and our belief in Jesus. I can't imagine going through this with someone who did not love Jesus like I do. That would be uh, just even more of an uphill battle. But someone who, mm-hmm. when we're going to bed and, you know, he's had some bad coughing fits and we haven't had any, you know, relief from this, who I can open up some scripture and say, hey, I'm just going to read some scripture over you before we go to bed. Or who he can, you know, he can say, hey, Will you pray about this? I'm really, you know, this is this is what I'm worried about right now. Uh, I think about that Ecclesiastes verse of the the cord of three strands um, is not easily broken. And you know, when I was uh, feeling weak, as my mom went through things, and you know, after she passed, he was, you know, he was that strong cord. He was the one reading scripture over me mm-hmm. uh, when I said, "Oh, I just, I, I don't even know what to think." And when we kind of have had different things happen and we've each had to kind of step up, step up for the other one. Mm -hmm. This is one of those times where, you know, you're going through it with a partner who uh, understands that God is in control and there's nothing that, that we can do (laughs) to Mm -hmm. fix this. Right. God can, so we're just going to have to lean on him. And so that's, that's what we would do. Um, he, he would just let me read that scripture over him and pray over him. And I think that is one way that you could take a bit of the pressure off is knowing that um, when you're rooted in Christ together, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through whatever it is. I have definitely learned that. What are some of the scriptures that you have both clung to in your, through it all, but, you know, in particular moments, what are some of those lifeline scriptures for you? The biggest one for me that I don't think I'd ever heard uh, before this was Isaiah 41.10. It got oh, to the point first. Yeah. I love that verse so much. <laughs> me too. Kind of tattooed on my arm here. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I felt like every message I was getting, every, you know, Facebook, all that, everybody was including this verse. It got to the point I was like, okay, if you like Google how to, verses to encourage a friend whose husband is in the hospital, you know, does it say Isaiah 41.10? Because that is the verse everybody is sending me. You know, and it is a lot about not fearing. Yeah. God's with you. You don't need to be, be, don't be afraid. You know, I'm here for you and I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And so I go back to how I felt as soon as AJ went to the hospital, which was very lost. Like I did not have an anchor. Like I was at, just out of touch with whatever had been holding me down my whole life. And there's that verse mm-hmm. that God is holding on to with his righteous right hand. And he, he has a plan, and he is not letting go. And, man, he has some strong hands. And those hands are not not, um, not easily going to let you fall mm-hmm. away, uh, no matter what the circumstance. So Isaiah 41.10 has been a big one for me, um, just resting in that strength and that command not to fear. Because 
I was scared. Yeah, I was scared. AJ reminded me last night, the time that he had to go on the ventilator again. He said, man, you were like, when I got, you know, woke up from that, you were very calm, like that it was no big deal. And he said, but looking back, like, wasn't it a really big deal? (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) It was a very big deal. (laughs) But I had had to channel that strong side of me that said, do not fear, you know, do not be afraid. This is just one more speed bump that God is going to take us over. And, you know, the, definitely the hills and the valleys of all of this, um, Isaiah 41, 10 has, has brought me a lot of comfort. Mm. That's amazing. It is. Wow. I don't think I've gotten this emotional in a story recently. <laughs> well, so AJ's good right now. We're just kind of in a waiting pattern to make sure and see if this surgery is mm-hmm. like kind of the last one. Yeah. Yeah. And I... Some people will say, like, oh, you know, do you feel like you're out of the woods? And I just could not dislike that phrase more (laughs) because I feel like none of us are ever out of the woods. Like, God has has told us, like, we are going to encounter problems. You know, it is not if, it is when. And, you know, when we encounter those, we are going to need feet firmly on Him. And I think about that in our marriage, how it's almost like we stocked up. We stockpiled when times were good. We made sure we knew who we were. We made sure we knew who our faith, you know, who our faith was in. Mm-hmm. And then when the hard times hit, you know, you've you've got that to lean on because you were ready. You know, so to any, you know, sweet young married couple, <laughs> be ready. Just get ready uh, because you're going to need each other. You're going to need those three strands. You're, mm-hmm. you know, one of you is, is, is going to be weak. And I do not like admitting that. You know, I, I would like to think that I, no matter what happens, I will be so strong and I will not eat anyone. Uh, but man, over the past year, I have not leaned on people more in my whole life because I've needed that. I, there's no way I could have done this by myself. And that's another thing God showed me, especially over this year. You know, when things were, it was an ICU and things were very dramatic. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, people at the house every day dropping off meals and sending cards. And that was, that was amazing. You know, I was, I know there's no way I could have gotten through it without that. And not just that, but like sending rep toys and, and just doing things that I never would have thought of for me. Things I didn't know I needed, they were getting it done <laughs> before I knew I needed it. But then it turned into a year of Mm -hmm. things. And that's where you see God's people. You see just your family of believers truly step up. Mm -hmm. You know, they weren't there just for the the crazy times. They were there for the long haul. And here, I mean, just over this past year, not a day goes by that we don't get a card in the mail or a message or a DoorDash gift card. I mean, if you want to see just the body of Christ at work, I can show you over this past year, they're there and they are using whatever it is God has told them to, to help us. You know, you've got, you know, the friend who picks up the phone and calls, you've got the friend who sends you the ridiculous TikTok video that we you know, you've got the friends who send you the care packages and the friends who send you the songs that say, oh, the song made me think of you. And I would say, man, whatever it is that God has put on your heart to do for somebody, don't think that it is silly. Don't think, oh, they don't need that right now. You know, if it is on your heart, they need it. And I am so grateful for just people who uh, maybe are not kind of in my closest circle of friends, but people who God just put us on their hearts and they thought, oh, 
you know, I think Amber and AJ need a card. I think Amber and AJ need to call. And they did that. Um, and that I have learned a lot from that. And I've tried to see, okay, God, how can I be that to other people? How can I use whatever you've put on my heart um, to reach out to someone? And that, that's something AJ has discovered too. You know, if God is bringing us through this in this particular way, what am I going to do to bring him glory? And I have seen my husband evangelize in the hospital <laughs> uh, in ways that I know God is going to use. Mm-hmm. Because he knows, okay, if I'm in this hospital room with this particular nurse today, it is not by accident. So I'm going to ask them, hey, what do you think about this Jesus guy? Because I know what I think about him. What do you think about him? <laughs> and AJ has such a conversational manner about him anyway, where you just feel at ease when you talk to him. God has given him that gift, and he's just able to use that in so many ways. He's using that in the hospital. You know, he's using that to ask these nurses, you know, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. I just, I've got, I've got a question I really want to ask you. You know, what, what do you think about Jesus? And so knowing that, okay, they're, they're, God is at work, and I've just seen that so much. I know... Mm-hmm. I know that he is using this, um, but yet I also know he doesn't have to explain to us why it's happening. He doesn't have to give us a reason. Um, We're just going to see where he's at work and trust that. And man, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss these miracles that he's doing. If you had asked me last January, you know, would you like your next year to just be like a parade where you're just... You're just on a float, like, waving and smiling at everything. Like, would that be nice? I probably would have been like, yes, that would be nice. Can, that would I, be great. Have, can I just, yeah, yeah, can I just have a really easy, nice year? That would be wonderful. But now looking back, thinking if my life had been like that, our lives had been like that over the past year, I think of what I would miss. I, I just think of how much God did that I would not know. I think of how deep my relationship with him is now mm-hmm. compared to what it was and what I know of his character and what I know of um, just how he shows up for us. Um, I would have missed that. And so, yeah, no, I do. I don't ever want to do it again, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad now how much I know and I don't want to trade that for anything. And I know AJ would say the same thing, just the level at which we are together, the two of us, and the level at which we are um, with Jesus is um, it's just something that you don't want to go back now that you know that. Mm. Thank you so much, Amber, for sharing all this. It is We're so, so grateful. It's such a gift that you shared your story and that our listeners have been encouraged today in their walk with the Lord because of what you have shared. Thank, thank you. you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I, I definitely wanted to honor um, AJ's story for sure. And then just everyone who has been touched by COVID and has their own stories. I hope that is um, just brings some encouragement. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for listening today to Afraid Not with Amber McMath. We are so thankful that Amber shared her story with us today. And maybe you just needed to hear one more time the amazing verse, Isaiah 41.10, which says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I really liked that I think we need to start looking for where God is at work and concentrate on that and just 
continue to keep our eyes moving for that. Also, that God is so deep, He doesn't have to explain to us why things are happening a certain way. We just have to trust and move where He's moving. Thanks so much for listening again. Remember to rate and review and share the podcast, and we will be back again in a couple weeks. Bye, everyone.